thinking about like, okay, on my deathbed, I'm going to look back and like, am I going to be happy with this decision? You know, like, am I going to be happy working with this client or writing a book on this subject or whatever? And like, if the answer is no, then I'll, I walk away very quickly. You know, I think that's, that's one thing that's worked for me of like, what do I want to look back on at the end of things and, and what will I be proud of? So I think, you know, like you said, this is not a practice life is kind of a similar, similar thing. And I think reminding ourselves of that on a regular basis can be really helpful. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Time Flies. My name is Santi. And in this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Marcus Almond, who is the writer of several books on a genre I like to describe as artistic self-improvement. So in this episode, Marcus tells us his backstory becoming the creative author he now is, as well as many tips on why it's important to dedicate more time to the things that we're passionate about, some tips for entrepreneurs and people who want to make a living out of their passions, as well as discussing minimalism, many philosophical concepts, as well as how to deal with adversity when we're feeling low or unmotivated. So several topics, I really hope you enjoy it, and here it goes. Welcome to Ten Flies, guys. So I'm here with Marcus Almond. And Marcus, first I want to thank you so much for your time being here. And can you introduce yourself, a bit of your backstory and who you are? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, my name is Marcus Almond. Um, I started in the music industry and then kind of moved over to the world of writing books. And I write poetry mm -hmm. and self-development books for authors and entrepreneurs. And I've been doing that for about six or seven years. I started uh, by self-publishing a very small zine in Brooklyn, right. and it, it got a lot of traction uh, pretty early on and was shared by like some pretty major artists and, and um, people in the entertainment industry. And mm -hmm. yeah, from there, I just kept, kept on writing and, and slowly built up the following over the years. And now that's pretty much what I do. And I, I coach other artists and entrepreneurs on building their own businesses and, and building a following for themselves, which is really fun. Right. Actually, I got I got um, introduced by you to the concept of scenes, and I, I started writing one. It kind of transformed into an ebook, and now it's oh, hopefully cool. the first part of a book, a long-term plan. I'll show you yeah. when it's ready. But can you just describe for people who don't know what is a scene, just for a bit of context? For sure. Yes. Yeah, so zine zine is spelled Z-I-N-E, and it's um, kind of right. short for magazine. And the cultural significance is they became really popular in the music industry uh, pretty early on, like 80s, 90s, in the punk rock world, which is where I kind of grew up. Mm -hmm. And a zine can be about anything. It could be a fanzine about bands. It could be a personal zine about your life. It's, it's kind of like blogs before there was an internet. So <laughs> they're pretty DIY, handmade, just like photocopied a lot of times and just like stapled by hand and um you know they're just kind of handmade creations which is pretty cool right. um and just being a writer i was always kind of drawn to stuff like that and like um you know the underground music scene and underground um you know fiction and poetry and things like that so um, that's basically what a zine is it's kind of hard to pin down because any person who makes their own zine it's going to be different than anything that was ever created before which is pretty cool yeah, it's super interesting. Like, uh, you have how many right now? Like, 13, 14? Uh, 14. I just put 14. out the 14th one recently. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I do have it. <laughs> oh, um, cool. No, it was really cool. Just for a bit of backstory on how I imagine everything that I wanted to thank you, like, kind of publicly, like, uh, on your Instagram page where you post a lot of your thoughts and all of this, 
every mm-hmm. now and again you notice like you did these things where you is it a giveaway or like uh, a skype call with someone and yeah you said like whoever guess, guesses this band uh, is gonna get two of my books right and you just oh, took a photo yeah. of a very <laughs> ambiguous band like you couldn't see anything and i was like i have no idea what this band is but i just started googling something that i saw in the background for like an hour and seeing if any musicians oh, wow. in new york had anything to do with it and yeah and you said like okay what's your address yeah, yeah. Super good. <laughs> i had and, a lot of guesses you were the only yeah. person who who got that one right <laughs> it took me a lot of time <laughs> but no uh, i want to thank you so much because you said two books but you sent me actually like five or six books and i really appreciate it and it was of course amazing. yeah no yeah. that's so cool right on <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a really good timing because uh, last month i just did a, a 30-day social media detox trying to stay oh, away cool. from social media just to experiment with that yeah and your books your books arrive just in time so it was uh, that month of going through everything that you sent me so it was amazing perfect yeah that's amazing <laughs> i remember when i first started that scene it was literally mm-hmm. because i you know as a writer i'm writing all the time and yeah. stuff but when i started the zine it was a reason for me to get off my computer and, and get yeah. away from a screen so i started it on a typewriter and paper exactly. which is super fun and it's like you know it's it's good to take a break from technology for sure. Right. No, it's super interesting. Like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm usually going a lot more into paper these days, trying to keep everything, you know, like analog, like you say, like a yeah. scene, this analog blog. I really like that idea. For sure. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Now, uh, you have this concept in one of your books that I wanted to ask you about. And I mean, I experienced from our experience uh, knowing each other, like meeting each other, that you, you suggest to always over deliver when you promise something you usually tend to give more than people expect and i I mean you sent me more books that i expected which was amazing and i'm grateful for what is your philosophy behind that i think it's super useful to think like that well i mean any interaction there's two i mean i feel like both people need to get something out of it so for you or just talking from my experience when i help somebody Mm -hmm and go above and beyond like it makes me feel good and I feel like okay so like it was a good day because I helped this person do this thing that they wanted to do so it's kind of like it's very fulfilling to give to people so there's that Mm -hmm. side the sort of my side of it but then the other side of it is you know it could be a reader or a customer for your business or a podcast listener or whatever it's in this day and age it's it's somewhat difficult to get that initial attention and to give people to have people give you a chance. So if they read your book, that's a really important thing, and that's a chance to create a relationship. So if you approach it from a way that's going to always over deliver and exceed mm-hmm. expectations and just like blow them away with your content and what you have to give, then I feel like that's how you make a connection and that's how you make a friend or a customer for life. And I think that's really important because if you don't do it right, like if you're promoting content and your content isn't that good, then you're doing all this work and not getting any traction because the people who find it are, are walking to, walking away disappointed or walking away like, oh, that was so-so, which is always a bummer. So I, I, that's something I really try and live by. Like, like, like you mentioned, sometimes I do these free 15-minute strategy calls on how you can build your audience or build your business or whatever. And a lot of times those go way over 15 minutes because right. what the person's doing is, is really interesting to me. So I'm getting a lot out of it. And then I, I want to help them. Like if I can help them double their, their monthly income by like a, you know, a 30 or 40 minute call, 
then mm-hmm. obviously they're going to be like, wow, Marcus was super helpful. I'm going to like hire him for consulting or, or go back and, you know, pay him for other work. So that's sort of my philosophy of like, you know, over delivering is super important because it's, it's not about the short term interaction or conversation. Mm-hmm. It's about a long term relationship. Nice. No, I love that. I think it's, it's not something that we practice uh, in modern life. Like it's not a, it's not a concept that is there. Like it's not obvious to do things like this. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah, you have you have this idea that you mentioned, uh, I believe in Thing Grow uh, podcast, which I'm a huge fan of. That's how I, I found you. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And, and you talked about this idea of whenever everyone goes sick, you go sack. Uh, yeah. On this thing where you uh, send send your physical work to people that you admire. Can you explain that a little bit just for people? Listening? Yeah, so it's like this thing that I've been practicing over the years, which is, like you said, zig while the rest of the world zags. And I'm always trying to find a way to, to um, kind of like succeed and get through to people in a way that no one's ever thought of before because it's right. there's less competition and there's less friction and it's easier to do. So when I first started writing – Everybody was trying to start blogs and, you know, drive traffic through Facebook and, you know, everything was like online, obviously. And again, I, I launched, the first thing I ever wrote was this handwritten or hand typed thing on a typewriter that was photocopied. And um, to get attention and to get people interested in it, I sent it, like I mailed a physical copy to, to you know, famous writers and like best-selling authors and and rock stars and all this stuff. And I had a lot of success. Like Rob Dyrdek from MTV posted it on Instagram twice to like millions of people. Right. Um, Travis Barker posted it to millions of people. And like uh, people of that caliber are getting emails and direct messages and tweets thousands every day, all day long. So mm-hmm. if I were to send them an email of like, Hey, will you check out this thing I wrote? Like they probably wouldn't even see it, let alone respond to it. Cause you know, there's only so many hours in the day, but, yeah. um, zigging while the world zag is, is sort of like, how can I get through to people who that that's sort of like unconventional, unconventional and, uh, something that nobody else is doing. So mm. that's sort of like what I did It's just like send physical products in the mail. And I got a lot of, um, traction that way and it's just something I do all the time like one of the poetry books that I wrote um, I just sent it to a bunch of hair salons in Brooklyn because you know Mm -hmm. it was something interesting to read while they're (laughs) in the waiting room so instead of like trying to get that publishing deal or like sending it um, you know pitching it to try and get in Barnes and Noble I'm I'm always Mm -hmm. thinking of like what's a a way that for me to get uh, readers and to build my audience that nobody else is doing because if you do what nobody else is doing, then there's going to be almost zero competition and it's really going to stand out. So like the thing with like publishing a zine and, and getting it into stores that, that aren't even necessarily bookstores, but like mm-hmm. record stores and other, other <laughs> cool like knickknack places in, in New York. Um, I'm, I'm just always kind of thinking about like what, how can you like position yourself to get through to people where you're not competing with a bunch of other people? Right. Nice. No, it's amazing. Yeah. This thing of doing things differently, doing your own, your own thing. Right. I want to transition a little bit. Like, um, in this podcast, I, I usually talk about life philosophy, like how, sure. how we can develop our life philosophy. I, I noticed because I read one of your scenes, uh, on minimalism. Are you a practicing mm-hmm. someone who practices minimalism a lot? How, how did you get started in it? Um, so minimalism has been part of my life for, 
um, probably six years, seven years. And, um, you know, my wife and I are pretty settled right now, but, you know, for most of my life until fairly recently, I was always traveling and always moving and just like all over the place, living in different cities. Like I used to play in bands and would go on tour and like, you know, it was just all over the place. And, when we moved to New York, um, we just had so much stuff and I had like thousands and thousands of CDs and books and papers that I've written and uh, like all this stuff and it became kind of overwhelming. Um, and slowly I just started digitizing everything, like converting, like getting rid of my physical CDs and, um, using a Kindle more and more and scanning old photographs and converting everything to digital. And it just brought me a lot of happiness and I felt much freer. And, um, when I wasn't so tied down to physical things, it was really helpful for me because you're always organizing it or, or cleaning things or if, you know, worried about fixing things that break or whatever. So really being, um, conscious of what, um, I keep in my life and physical space has really helped me and it's really helped, uh, prioritize what's important too. So, um, it, it's almost like I, it's something I don't even think about anymore. Minimalism has just become part of my life. And that was kind of an experience that I went through, um, like I said, six or seven years ago and it's just kind of stuck with me and, um, yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. Nice. Yeah. It's amazing. I also practice it for around a year moving from Ecuador to England. Like I, I came here with only one suitcase and, and a small one. Like it was pretty interesting to own almost nothing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah, I wanted to ask you like this really cool quote that you have in, in your scene about minimalism, which is based on how, how do we eliminate things that don't add value to our lives? Like that's something we listen a lot in minimalism, but how, how do you actually do that? Hmm. I think it depends on what it is. So like um, like let's say you have a physical product that's right. like, um, or if an item that you're holding onto, you never use it, but you're holding onto it for the memory of the thing or the mm -hmm. significance that it brings you. And, uh, it just takes up a lot of space. Like I used to have this jacket that I kept that was just like, um, back from like my punk rock days that was like covered <laughs> in spikes and buttons and patches and all this cool stuff. Right. And I was like, I, I never wear it anymore. I'm like in my thirties or whatever, but I just held on to it cause I, it was part of my life and my identity and it was just like a cool thing. And it meant a lot to me. Right. Um, but it was just like, you know, lugging this jacket from apartment to apartment every time we moved and things like that. I was like, well, what, why is this in my life? And I realized, you know, it's because it stirs up positive memories and just an important time in my life. So I just photographed it and took really beautiful pictures of it and then let it go and, and threw it away. And, um, now it's like, I actually come across those pictures more often than I would if it was like, you know, in, in a box under, in, in the back of a closet somewhere. So that's kind of how I do it. So it depends on the item, but you know, if it's a physical item, I would, recommend taking a photo of it or something. Um, if it's media like, you know, DVDs or CD CDs, those are pretty easy to convert to, uh, right. you know, digital formats. Yeah. And when it comes, this is something that I kind of have a bit of a conflict with, which is digital versus paper, right? Like we, I, I don't know, it's the thing of wanting to write things down, wanting to read, reading books, but also I listen to a lot of audiobooks, which is my way to not have a lot of books. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to note-taking, uh, writing on paper, like how do you deal with that? 
Um, when I'm in meetings, so I have two different modes of, of writing stuff. When I'm in meetings mm-hmm. and things like that, like when I'm working with clients or, or um, any sort of interaction where I'm taking notes, usually that's on paper because I can do mm-hmm. it with one hand and also stay focused on the conversation. Mm-hmm. When I'm writing to write, whether it's a book or an email or a, you know a, an article online or something like that, I, I can type a lot faster than I can hand write, obviously. So I yeah. find I have trouble keeping up with my thoughts when I'm using pen and paper. I can do it mm-hmm. a lot quicker um, on the computer. So I tend to use a computer when I'm um, when it's just me and I'm focused on actually yeah. writing. Yeah. Nice. Now that's super interesting. I don't know if you heard of shorthand writing. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, concept? I've heard of it. I don't know yeah. how to do it. Yeah, <laughs> it's very just- interesting. I'm just learning. Uh, I want to definitely do an episode explaining a bit more how it works for people who don't know it. But technically, like using either symbols or short versions of words to express mm-hmm. things in paper. And because I'm left-handed, I'm developing my own version, which is backwards. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. <laughs> so that's pretty interesting. And I think that's kind of like a way for me to also like try to keep up with the thoughts in paper. Because there's something amazing of writing things down on physical paper. Yeah, that's right. true. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. And when it comes to the typewriter, how do you deal with that? Do you write um, a lot on the typewriter? I don't these days. I mean, it's that oh, okay. again slows me down. Like my typewriter, I use because um, the font is beautiful, and I think when it's mm-hmm. when it's typed out, it's a really special, unique thing. So it's right. more of like an an artistic outlet, like an art item for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it takes a long time. So usually, I don't I I don't um, write from scratch on the typewriter i'll usually right. get my thoughts out on a computer and then if it's worthwhile to to type up then i'll do that i used to do this thing on my website where you could order like a hand typed quote from me yeah, 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 and I um i i still do those once in a while so that it, they're uh-huh. pretty cool because i mean it's like you know a manual typewriter so you could like drag your finger across <laughs> the type and, and feel the the letters popping out of the paper and right. it's a it's a pretty cool thing yeah, it's amazing. You inspired me. I was just about to buy a typewriter. I kind of ran out of money. Oh, so nice. I'm being more minimalist than ever, but it's on the it's on the list of the few things that I've allowed myself to. Yeah, right on. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Right. Um, yeah, when it comes to minimalism a little bit more, uh, I realized that that you said that Joshua Fields Milburn was kind of your mentor from the minimalist. For sure. So he, I mean, he's a big reason why I'm even like, probably talking to you to be honest is because he when I first started you know I had zero followers I didn't even know that you were supposed to have an email list or an Mm -hmm. Instagram account or any of that stuff I was just like typing stuff because it was you know just thoughts that were in my head and it felt important to me at the time but like didn't have an audience or or, uh, you know followers and just tweeted at him one day and was like um, I forget what I even said. I was like, yo, I'm, I'm writing. And sometimes I do write about minimalism or whatever. Like, let me know what you think. And he was just like one of the first person, uh, first people to respond. And he was just like, your stuff is really good. I really like your, what you're doing and what you're writing. And I mean, it was amazing. Cause I, zero, I had like zero people interested in what I was doing. And he's like, Yo, I'm coming to New York to do this um, interview on the Today Show. We should meet up. Right. So it's like, and <laughs> no then all way. of a sudden, I'm like, um, 
hanging out with Josh and Ryan in, in Times Square and just talking. And he was like, yo, you should do this. And at the time I was writing anonymously, like I wasn't even putting my name on it. And he was like, you should really put your name on this and, um, you know, post photographs of who you are and what you look like and stuff, which is kind of scary for me at the time. But I, right. I took his advice and like, we've kept in touch and still talk to this day. And he's just an amazing person. And like, you know, really smart and, uh, just a kind, a kind dude. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. You're the first person I talk to that knows the minimalists. I really look up to them. It's amazing. Oh, right on. How, how do you advise people to get this type of mentors? Because you always say that mentors are really important. Just reaching out. Like, yeah, hey. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually doing a, a course on this that I'm, right. I'm about to launch later, but it's, um, It's specifically about this. Like, how do you get Travis Barker to post about your work on Instagram? How do you get Josh uh, from The Minimalist to mentor you? Or like, you know, Stephen Pressfield. There are all these people that have been really amazing to me. And it's it's literally just reaching out to people and, and um, trying to find a way to add value or to connect on a really human level and, um, you know, building a friendship, really. And, um, you know, whether it's Uh, getting people on the phone or, or meeting in person or just emails back and forth on advice and like mentorship. And, um, it's actually easier than, than a lot of people think it is. And I, um, I just recommend, you know, reaching out to people pretty often, you know, once a day, five times a day. And just, um, I, I teach my, my coaching clients this thing called a dream 100, which mm -hmm. is like, if you're, if you can choose, if there were like, One, uh, just let's start with one person. So if there's mm -hmm. one person in the world who, if that person supported you in some way, so say you were on their podcast or on their TV show, or they tweeted about you or posted about you on Instagram, it would have a huge impact on your life and what you're doing and your business. And, um, if you're an artist, like the number of people that would follow you and be interested in your work would change. So that's, Those are the type of people that you should be thinking about. And the Dream 100 is literally a list of 100 people that could change your life or your business and just be conscious of who those people are and how you can help them and reach out to them and add value. And I think a lot of people make this, the mistake of um, – mm -hmm. I see this in the music industry all the time of people just being kind of pushy and saying, hey, I, I made this record. Listen to my demo. Uh, here's the link, check it out. And that's definitely not the way to do it. The way to do it is trying mm -hmm. to find out what those people are interested in and what you can do for them. So mm -hmm. that could be like, you know, are they interested in it in motorcycles? Then maybe you should connect on that. And, and, you know, what, like whatever it is, maybe they have a charity, um, that they're involved with, find a way to go to some of those charity events or, or um, connect on that level of something that they're already interested in and, and figure out a way that um, you can add value to their life and, and do something positive for them without asking for a lot um, in exchange in the beginning, just try and reach out and, and offer value. And I think it's something that people really respond to because when you're super famous or well-known mm -hmm. you're constantly getting bombarded with requests and people asking mm -hmm. you for stuff and wanting right. stuff from you so like if you're like the one voice who's who's coming from a place of kindness and you know or, or just like hey i want to give you this really cool thing i don't want anything in, in exchange i think people really respond to that right yeah is that human level of yeah just being a human and being like hey <laughs> do you want to talk about the subject that we both have in common Because when right. you approach someone, you don't, you're not like, check all of my links, check all of my socials, like in their face. It, it has right. to be more human, right? Nice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Um, moving on to, I really like your book. These are the days. Like it, it's oh, amazing. Cool. Thank you, it's, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I really appreciate the vulnerability. Like, um, I think it's something that we saw more of in these days in like authors and creators of all kind. Like, it's the kind of thing that makes the world a better place. Like, just being so open with your audience and just being so honest. I, I want to congratulate you on that. It's an amazing piece Thank of you. Time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> man. And you had this amazing uh, quote, which I, I really loved, which was this advice, right? On keep your strength where others can't mess with it. Like, you, you phrased it a bit different a few times, but how, how do you achieve this? It's, a, it's an amazing concept. Thank you. Um, let me think. So I'm, I'm very much a believer in that. And I know, like you said, I've said it in a few different ways, but like just mm -hmm. keeping keeping your hope safe and um, protected, I think is very important. So like it, it can be really scary to put yourself out there and like we've all got those family members or friends who, right. um, or I probably wouldn't even call them friends, but people we know that kind of will put down what you're working on. So it's like mm -hmm. if you're working on a book, um, you want to protect that book and protect your art and, um, don't, don't put everything on what other people say or what they think of it. So I think, um, you know, what someone asked me for advice, uh, recently about like, how do they go becoming a, a, a writer and publishing zines and publishing books. And, um, one thing I, I advised them on was just to not publish at first for the couple mm -hmm. year, for the first couple years and just write, whether it's on a typewriter or on your computer, but you never post it online. You just write and write and write and you get better and better. Um, and that you're protecting yourself because, you know, odds are it's not going to be super great in the beginning. So if you mm -hmm. were to post it and people are like, this sucks, then you have a pretty high chance of getting discouraged or thinking mm -hmm. you're not a good writer or that you don't have what it takes or whatever. But if you protect that stuff and kind of like ignore all the negativity for a while um, and just you know, really guard your craft and give yourself that space to explore and get better at the thing you're working on and cultivate a skill without letting other people kind of crush it or step on it. I, I feel like that could be a really popular or like positive thing and powerful thing because it's almost like you're trying to build a fire. So in the beginning, mm -hmm. I mean, a, a fire needs a lot of air and oxygen to, to really take off. But in the beginning it's, it's very fragile. So you like start with a little kindling and you're like kind of protecting it with your hands and, and blowing on it like gently. And once you get it going, once you gain some skills and some traction and realize that like, okay, my business is making money or like my books are, are getting readers or whatever, then you can, you can tell like all those negative family members about what you're working on and, and it doesn't phase you anymore because it's proven and that the fire is strong. Right. Oh, yeah. I love it. That relates to a philosophy quote that I've talked about, I believe, in, in here. Like, it comes from Stoicism. I don't know if you're familiar with Stoic philosophy, maybe? A little bit, yeah, Never for read. sure. I've read, read uh, Ryan Holiday's book, which yeah. I thought was really cool. And, like, I've been yeah. uh, practicing Buddhist for many years, and I feel like there's some overlap there with Buddhism. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some. Um, now, that's super interesting because I see a lot of Stoicism in your work, but I think it's because Stoic philosophy is something that has influenced culture in so many ways and we all get like these bits and pieces from people we admire that unconsciously they all have this stoic knowledge behind it uh i just wanted to relate what he said at the fire with the stoic quote which cool. talks about how like uh i think ryan holly they say this about it when you have like um think of things as a candle like the fire in the candle gets blown away by the wind 
and and it can grow but when you have a bonfire as you said like this wind is like you said like it 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 wakes wakes up the the fire and it keeps it going so wind becomes something that builds builds momentum whereas the candle gets blown away so like you said like we can build it up to be this bonfire so that mm -hmm. adversity fuels us instead yeah. of puts us down right yeah absolutely yeah and it, it takes a while to build that confidence up so unless you have that confidence and that strength and adversity mm -hmm. adversity can be really crushing at first so i think you know i talk about that like protecting it and you know exactly. taking care of it so that you know by the time you hit those major setbacks or mistakes or failures you're already strong enough to keep going exactly no amazing man um this is a this is a question that i have on Maybe things that you might repeat yourself. You tell me that uh, you you practice a bit of Buddhism, and I read that, and I I definitely see the, see the um, I don't know like the origin of your thoughts sometimes coming from Buddhism. I don't <laughs> know. Is, is there any phrase in general, like any type of philosophy or any thoughts you may have that you repeat yourself? Something that you use as a mantra constantly or often? I don't do mantras too often. I do one right. that's sort of like a loving kindness meditation, mm -hmm. um, and so that's like. May I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be peaceful, may I live a life of ease. And you just report or repeat those things, those four things like over and over again. Um, and it can be really helpful if you're kind of like stressed out or like all up in your head. It's just like, well, let's take a step back and sit and be connected to our breath and repeat those things. May I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be peaceful, may I live a life of ease. And it really grounds you and puts you in the moment and then um, it's a loving kindness meditation so eventually once you feel uh, centered and grounded you extend it to people that you love like your mother significant other anybody who's really important to you after you do it for those people a few times you do it to sort of like friends and acquaintances mm -hmm. say the same thing you know like maybe there's somebody you work with named george you know may george be happy may george be healthy And, and so on. And then eventually you extend it to people that you don't like and people that you really don't like. And it just kind of like sets your mind of like, okay, well, you know, what's really important in life? It's not this grudge I have or this, you know, this person who annoys me or whatever. So that's, that's one, probably the only mantra I do. And it's the loving kindness meditation. Usually when I meditate, it's just Um, connected to the breath and and there isn't a mantra but that that is one that i go back to right no it's interesting and, and maybe people that uh, listen to this podcast often they will say like why why am i talking about mantras like it's not something i've ever talked about i believe but i think it's interesting mm. that it doesn't have to have a religious uh, uh concept behind it like i think mantras sound kind of weird like the word mantra is not a very common phrase to use in daily life right but right Is, is this is this thing of like repeating something that you want to be stuck in your brain a bit more that you believe in and you think it might be beneficial. Like uh, yesterday, I, I actually read a quote from Marcus Aurelius, who was a Roman emperor. Mm -hmm. um, amazing, like the way he thinks and he advises himself like you often do in your books. Um, yeah. He, yeah, he said, he said this thing of being relaxed but alert, cheerful but determined. So this is something I'm trying to experiment with to repeat myself this week to see how it affects me. Because oh, I think cool. it's such an amazing way to be aware of your surroundings, to be aware of life, but also being tranquil because if you're always like chaotically stressed, there's not much value in a life that is like that. And then cheerful, but determined to be happy, mm -hmm. to be a nice person to others, but also determined on your goals, right? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think there's part of like a, a psychology component to that as well. Mm-hmm. If like if you have a a negative thought that's kind of a hindrance in your life, you can reframe that thought. So like, um, I I can't really think of an example, but like, um, say say you're, you're nervous speaking in public public mm-hmm. or something, you could reframe those thoughts like. I'm excited to be here. It doesn't have to be perfect or whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with. And instead of telling yourself, I'm so nervous, I'm going to bomb. You just can kind of like reframe those thoughts of like, I feel very excited right now. I don't, it doesn't have to be a perfect speech. I'm just like here to, to try my best or whatever. So you take, you can take some of the pressure off by uh, really looking at how you're talking to yourself. And I think some, some people would call that a mantra too, if you're kind of reframing your thoughts that way. Nice, I love it. That's that's actually a cool coincidence because last episode, which yeah, it should be released by now, but I haven't released it yet as we speak, uh, talks about that concept of replacing being excited. No, sorry, replacing a uh, nervousness for excitement. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying like, uh, I feel so nervous about even this interview, right, or like something, uh, or probably sure. speaking somewhere, like you say, I'm excited because right. the symptoms are the same. You know, your heart rate rises and you get sweaty mm. and. And start thinking about the future. So why not replace it for something more beneficial, right? Right. Yeah. Like yeah. A, absolutely. Right. I think even speaking about uh, Joshua Fields Milborn, I think one of the mm-hmm. first things that sticks out in my mind was something. I think he tweeted a, this quote that it, that was from him. It was his uh, words, but he was just mm-hmm. like, "Anxious or excited, your choice." You know, yeah. it's like that simple. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's amazing. Like uh, in Stoicism, there's this idea of it's not things themselves that annoy uh, annoy us. It's our response to them. Yeah. The way that yeah. we decide to react to it, right? See, that right there is where the overlap with Buddhism is mm. because it's it's very much like your reaction to what's happening. And it's kind of like, yeah, how we, how we feel is our choice. Right. Now, that's pretty interesting. I, I haven't had any guests so far that practice Buddhism by like uh, like that maybe no actually one guy but mm-hmm. the um, yeah i mean i have a few questions on that because i mean i know a little bit about buddhism i never really engage in it but that detachment that we we think of when we think of buddhism how how would you describe that it's pretty interesting um so there's like the observer in our mind so we can be not attached to thoughts and feelings that we're having so we can if if someone says something really rude to us and it makes mm-hmm. us feel angry, there's this anger there, but then there's also this other observation, like another person or consciousness that's observing the anger. And that's a really powerful thing because it creates this distance and this space from our unpleasant emotions where we can see and recognize that we feel angry and we can sit with that feeling without letting it control us. So without that insight, and a person could get angry and throw their fist through the wall or, or say something really hurtful or whatever. But Buddhist philosophy teaches us to take a step back and just observe these feelings without being attached to them. And there's a lot of power and wisdom in that because it gives us control back um, and not not being such uh, reactive people or, or, or beings when it comes to negative emotions and it's, it's really you know it can really center a person and can just be a more positive way to live so i think i think that's what you're asking about the yeah. learning to 
it's not like you're completely unattached to what's going on. You just have this uh, a little bit of space and freedom to to react in a, a in a way that is positive. Right. No, I love it. I think it. I mean, yeah, everything you said is really related to stoicism, and I think that's why it's so important to sometimes take the the tags out of things or to forget about yeah. isms, right? Because minimalism, stoicism, Buddhism, they have so many overlaps and so many For good sure. things. That some yeah. people might miss out just for the name of it. Like Stoicism has a bad reputation as someone cold. Minimalist is someone who doesn't want to own anything and is like <laughs> right. against the system. And Buddha is just a bit hippie. Like <laughs> right, right, things, yeah. right. For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. Exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, um, also, why do you think there is an importance for people to do things that they're passionate about? Because, I mean, that's something that you definitely do and you convey in all of the work that you do. But why do you think people that haven't maybe started to focus so much on their passions, why do you think it's a crucial thing in their lives? I think it's a crucial thing because it's such a busy, hectic world and a stressful world right now. And I, I feel like, you know, it's been scientifically proven that like working for a boss and like going to an office and like all that stuff can be not only stressful, but can have negative impact on our health and our mindset and even our lifespan. So I think um, it's been proven that if you're doing things that are sort of, sort of like bring you joy, even if it's like joining a softball league on the weekends or something like that, mm -hmm. that can that can like change your life. Like literally it can like lower cortisol levels and like uh, decrease stress and make uh, going to the office or working for somebody else uh, more tolerable because you've got this other thing in your life to look forward to um, that sort of, the, you know, a novelty that's, that's fun or like puts you in a state of flow um, that reduces stress and increases happiness. So right. you can go deep in that and, and, and quit your job and say, I'm going to be an author, author and do whatever it takes to write books and build a following or it could just be a hobby that you love doing, whether it's like fishing or walking your dog or whatever. I think um, it can be different for different people. Some people love working um, in an office and you know working for a corporation or whatever, and that's their thing, which is cool. Um, mm -hmm. But having that one outlet of like, okay, every time I go into the garage and, and paint and work on painting, it just I lose track of time. I'm just like in this state of flow that like mm. nothing bothers me. I'm not thinking. It's meditative. It just like makes me feel so amazing. Like everybody should have something like that in their lives. And it, you know, I, I think people kind of get wrapped up in not knowing what their passion is and like being afraid to try anything because they're, they're not sure what would make them happy. But it's literally, it doesn't have to be too complicated. It could literally just be like going for a walk or, you know, mm shooting shooting basketball or whatever um you know taking pictures any sort of creative thing that slows down your thinking and puts you in a creative mindset and um in a state of flow uh, it really you know increases the that your happiness levels and gets rid of some of the stress from everyday life which is pretty cool right yeah i love it i think a lot of people are are afraid of admitting that they might be creative on something or that they are really passionate about something they enjoy. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I tend, and this comes from the minimalist, definitely, but when I meet someone new, I tend to ask them this thing that they suggest, like, what are you passionate about, right? What oh, are your yeah. hobbies, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are afraid of 
of either admitting at, I, I get a lot of um, I don't have any hobbies or I just watch TV I just mm. like, hang out with friends why do you think that is? Is it maybe that they don't want to admit what it what it is that they enjoy, or maybe I think so. Yeah, yeah? I think so. Yeah, it's right. sort of like um, I don't if if there if it's somebody someone that you just met and are trying to get to know, like that's kind of a personal thing because then it's like right. you know a lot of the things that people are passionate about maybe they're self-conscious about or think it's weird or maybe they love mm. video games and playing video games is that thing that puts them in a state of flow, but like. It could be kind of embarrassing if you're like older and like, oh, I spend like five mm -hmm. hours a, a night playing video games. Like mm -hmm. that's something you might not want to tell when you first meet someone. But yeah, I I think it can be a pretty personal thing. And then, you know, someone does have the passion um, to start a band and be a musician or, or some creative outlet and they haven't really pulled the trigger on it yet, then it can be kind mm -hmm. of an uncomfortable conversation to talk about as well, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like so many, so many things that one can learn and so many amazing skills that if, if people were more willing to just like share them with, with strangers, like we share a lot of what we do, like what we study, what our job right. title is, which is pretty relevant most of the time, unless you're <laughs> passionate about it, but we hide these things that are so crucial for meaningful life, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. true. Yeah, um, I think it would make things a lot better if we if yeah. we did talk about them more often. Because then you'd find other people who are interested in the same things. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Um, in one of your scenes, like uh, relating to this idea of nine to five, sometimes feeling unfulfilled due to not doing anything that you're truly passionate about. You also talked about uh, the Japanese word uh, that you can explain if you like about it, karoshi. You, you yeah, for <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, just again, like what we're already talking about, like Kiroshi, like the Japanese gave a word to, you know, basically death from work stress and that can manifest with like heart disease or heart attacks or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's pretty much all stress related, um, and stress that comes from work. So they have a word mm -hmm. for it. It's called Kiroshi. And as a writer, it was really helpful, helpful for me to put put that word on what I was talking about. So I kind of embraced it in one of the, uh, mm -hmm. zines that I wrote, but it's the same thing, like reducing that stress. And like, maybe if your nine to five job is that terrible, then maybe you should leave that job. Or if it's kind of bad, but not, not like life threatening stress, then definitely do things such as exercise or like, you know, activities that put you in a state of flow to reduce that stress. So I think, um, It's just a bummer that someone would spend so much time and energy doing a job that they don't enjoy and it's bringing like not only mental stress but like physically affecting their bodies to the point of, you know, sickness and, and eventually right. death. So, yeah, that's I just use that word because I thought it was an interesting concept. But, you know, not everybody is going to get that close to death from work stress, but I, I think these days is a real thing for, for most people of like, how do I find that balance? And like, if you're working a job that's, that's takes a lot out of you, it can be exhausting. So by the time you get home at the end of the day, it can be, you know, you might not have enough energy left to do the things that you love. So I think that's something to be aware of and, and to work towards, uh, you know, more balance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and what would you maybe advise to, to people like me, right? Like uh, I'm, I'm 22 right now. And 
I kind of really don't want to get a nine to five job because I've been kind of brainwashed by minimalism and all this amazing philosophy yeah. stuff. And no, I mean, I've been trying to create my own stuff since I was 14, like with a YouTube channel, which I don't think oh, I've shared cool. in the podcast. Uh, but nice. yeah, I, I started filmmaking and, and yeah, I've always liked to create maybe my problem. And I think a lot of people might have this problem when they're trying to create something of their own is that they might be too all over the place. Like, I think I have too many hobbies. I, I've got, I've gotten into writing because of you, which I, I really enjoy. Oh, cool. And, and yeah, this podcast so, is something that I would like to take further. What's yeah. Yeah. So my, my advice would be, um, you know, really study your relationship with money and give money mm -hmm. a thought because, um, you know, one of my mentors in my, in my life who's had a huge impact on me, um, his name is Richie Norton. And he's <laughs> always said that, if you can change the way that you make money, you'll change your life. So if you're not interested in, in getting a day job or going to work in a in an office, then really give some thought to how you're making money and like how you can monetize your podcast. And like I think a lot of people get kind of afraid of that, of like, oh, you know, I'm an artist. I don't mm -hmm. want to like take advantage of anybody. But really like money is just an exchange of values. So if you can figure out how to add value to people's lives in a way where they pay you some something for it, then like that's that's what you can do instead of a job. So right. it could literally be, you know, and you know, you could do a course or like have a sponsor and all that fun stuff. But like it's different for everybody and everyone's relationship to money is a little bit different, but it is an important aspect of, of creating art and doing what you love and having the freedom to um, work on projects that excite you. It's like you do have, that has to be part of the conversation and part of the thoughts you're having when you're, when you're planning on what to do, um, not only with your life, but like, you know, what you're going to do this year or, or next year. Um, I think that's important, uh, aspect of it. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I'm finally kind of discovering that that importance of money. I've always been kind of like a super against like selling out and Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, that whole idea <laughs> of like sure. yeah, I want to be an artist. I want to be someone who gives like a bit more selfless selflessly. Mm -hmm. But it's important. Like you said, I really like that keyword that you said like it's it's an exchange of value, right? Yeah, so you, for sure. You give something to someone and and when they give you something in exchange, which in this world is usually money, like you say Mm -hmm. uh, it means that they actually value your work and, and yeah, and it makes it fair and it makes it worth something more than it actually is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So definitely it's like both people walk away with, with, you know, feeling, feeling really great. And the way I do it mm -hmm. is like, I set goals that like aren't really involved with money. So like you can, mm -hmm. can really put your mind, like have a mindset that's like, how do you add value? How do you help more people? Like, you know, how can I help more people do this thing that I offer, you know? Mm -hmm. So once it's like, okay, this is the model, like I coach people. So it's like, and what I coach them on is how to build a business and, you know, do X, Y, Z. So then your goal setting part of it would be like, how do I help 10 people this month? Or like, mm -hmm. how do I help, hundred people this year or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. so that your mindset's really about the other person and offering value and, and helping that person reach their goals. And that, that works for any kind of business, you know, it's like, right. it, you know, whatever, whatever you're, uh, selling or, or offering, I think not making it about the money, but making it about what the other person's going to receive in value. I think that's an important part of it. Nice. That's amazing. And yeah, I mean, uh, kind of exploring that side, right, of like someone young trying to get into that. 
Uh, then there's the other side, which I honestly don't have experience with, and uh, I really don't know what it's like, but to be married, to have kids, or to have to support the family, like, how do you, and say you're really passionate about something, say you have your own podcast, say you have your own YouTube channel that you really believe <coughs> in, how do you take that big leap of maybe gradually living the, the day job and ful fulfill your your dream <coughs> of accomplishing this thing, right? What What is your advice for people like that? So I, w I guess I was like similar to you as like, you know, just kind of like, um, well, for me personally, I grew up in like the punk rock community where it was just like, I'm never getting married. I'm never having kids. Like, I'm just like an artist, man. And this is what I do. And like, I live alone and like all this stuff. And like that, that's still honestly still kind of a part of me where like I would, I feel very comfortable sitting in a room for two days, just writing a book without any interaction. So like um it it was small steps so it was like mm -hmm. okay let's move in together and like we figured that out and i had a, my own office and my own space to create mm -hmm. and stuff which is cool um and then it was like marriage was never like a huge deal to me or, or that important but like we mm -hmm. you know we have families obviously and there were expectations and like I didn't feel strongly one way or the other, but like I love my wife and it just kind of made sense. So we, we did that and it's been amazing and, and really cool. But, um, you know, if you would have told my 18 year old self that I'd be married at this point, he would have, you know, probably swore at you or, or said something <laughs> offensive. So I think it's, there's this, I, I don't feel like I've compromised, you know, it's just kind of like, mm -hmm. okay, let's try that and like see just navigating it step by step and, um, without ever giving up the thing that's super important to you. So for me, it's writing and creating, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's part of who I am and I probably will hopefully never compromise that and, um, never have. So I feel like that you could, you can definitely do both things. I mean, if it's interesting to you to try and be a father one day and have a kid, like you don't have to sacrifice your art or, or your time to create. Um, I mean, it definitely is a balance where the, there is, um, you know, a huge time commitment with, um, with kids, but definitely less so with, with, um, marriage or, or moving in with somebody. Right. No, that's amazing. Like, is that thing of, we need to change and we need to adapt and be flexible and willing to to adapt to the new situation and case scenario, right? Because I think we can get very stagnant when we say like, no, this is who I am and I will never change this. These things mm -hmm. like there should be, I believe, your non-negotiables, which are your values, like yeah. those essential stuff, right? And then the things that you should be willing to kind of let go, understand that things change a lot and that you need to adapt to it, right? Right, right. Absolutely. And I think creative people can be um, a little chaotic or unstable. Mm -hmm. I know I am. So like, you know, like writing a book or doing anything creative can be, you kind of have to get off balance to get momentum. So like mm -hmm. things like, you know, settling down in one relationship, whether it's marriage or just moving in, in with each other, like that can be a really positive thing for an artist because now all of a sudden you're grounded and if you got this rock and like, you're not out at bars getting drunk and trying to meet strangers, you know, that in itself can be really like <laughs> a big time commitment and like can, can throw you off and can take away from your art and what you're creating. So having some stability in regular life allows us to really embrace and explore the sort of chaotic part, uh, the, the really fun creative side of what we're doing, which is pretty cool. Right. Yeah. I love that. Um, and then you also talk about a lot in your books and, and, and what you say on intuition and following and cultivating your intuition. 
Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, can, can you expand a little bit of that? It's a really interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, it's such a personal thing, and I think it's different mm -hmm. for everybody, but intuition is, is pretty important because, um, you know, you can, you can study books and, and um, learn, learn skills and crafts from different people, but, like, when it comes to real-world stuff and, like, choices to make in your life, I think, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound too cheesy here, but I feel like our hearts know a lot of the time what direction to go, and... Um, it's really the difference of listen between listening to your heart and listening to your head. So I think mm -hmm. we can rationalize things. We can be logical about things, but like when it comes to happiness and what's going to fulfill us as artists and creators, I think intuition is what we should be more aware of and more in tune with because that's going to lead us down paths that are probably unconventional and recommended by a lot of people, but will mo more than likely lead us to where we want to go as far as, you know, being, being happy and being creative people. Right. Yeah. No, I love it. Uh, and then there's this concept that I really love from, I don't know if you've heard of AJ Leon. Uh, he oh, has cool. a really, yeah, he has a really amazing um, TED talk and he says this quote, which is one of my all-time favorites, which is, this is not your practice life. And that's an oh, amazing yeah. <laughs> right? It's that's so really cool. powerful. So powerful. Yeah. What do you think of that? What do you have to say about that? No, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we get into routines and we kind of like aren't always present in what we're doing. But like, yeah, just to remind us ourselves that this is not a practice life is a really powerful way of looking at it. Like, yeah, I'm always kind of like looking forward, like not not to be too cryptic or anything, but like mm -hmm. thinking about like, okay, on my deathbed, I'm going to look back and like, right. am I going to be happy with this decision? You know, like, am I going to be happy working with this client or writing a book on this subject or whatever. And like, if the answer is no, then I'll, I walk away very quickly. You know, I think mm. that's, that's one thing that's worked for me of like, what do I want to look back on at the end of things and, and what will I be proud of? So I think, you know, like you said, this is not a practice life is kind of a similar, similar thing. And I think reminding ourselves of that on a regular basis can be really helpful. Right. Now, it's an amazing concept that I think we should all engage in more often because in Stoicism, and I actually close every episode with this quote, which is memento mori, which means to remember death, to acknowledge it, <clears throat> to, to remember that the end will come of life, which is the biggest thing we have, right? So right. when we understand that concept, we also understand that relationships come to an end, uh, dreams come to an end, like everything we have goes away and that shouldn't be a dark thought is a motivation to appreciate it while we have it right to not take exactly. things for granted exactly. yeah yeah i agree completely yeah right awesome yeah because you had that that thing in motivational codes to get the blood moving an amazing an amazing book uh, and you said how that idea of looking back uh from your deathbed or from when you're old and to say i'm really glad i was bold enough to make the decision yeah right? it's an amazing mm -hmm. thought to have Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, on on creativity and and the format of the way you do things, I'm just curious. This is more of a personal um, personal question, but uh, when it comes to your books, to the way you format them, like uh, some some like motivational quotes has a lot of blank space, which which is an amazing idea because I can take my notes in there. <laughs> and is it amazing? Oh, cool. Is it amazing way to do things? But I'm just curious, like. How, how, why did you make that decision creatively? <laughs> so that was, that's definitely exa an example of like following my intuition. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I was not even like 
giving it any thought. Like I would just write and it came out in these short bursts of, of prose and like mm-hmm. it was the end of the thought, you know, so it was the end of the page and that was just how I did it. And like, again, when I started, I had nobody reading it and no, no followers and just printed it that way because it's mm-hmm. what made sense to me. And looking back on it, it was just, I felt really like it was just lucky. Like it just connected with people and like it was in a format that was easy to quote and easy to share on Instagram, which was a huge benefit for me. But like, I didn't even know Instagram was important at the time. Like I was just writing and it just came out that way. And like, I always listen to, uh, listen to music when I write. Mm -hmm. So it's literally like either I finish the thought and finish the paragraph or like the song ends, but either way, it's sort of like a short experience. And then like, so like once, once I say what I have to say, I'll like literally skip to the next song. Like it's just shuffling, but I'm like, all right, let's change gears here. And and I play a a different song and then write something completely different. So it's like, they're little kind of like journal entries in a way where they're very short Mm -hmm. and to the point and hopefully helpful. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not long form writing. It's, it's almost, uh, people have called it like poetic prose. I'm not, I don't know a lot about poetry, but it's just kind of like, um, you know, it's definitely prose where it's like a single paragraph or like maybe two to three thoughts. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, a lot of, uh, blank space on the page. No, it's super interesting. Like it's that thing of zigzag again because you go to a bookshop and you're skimming through books, opening different pages, and you find a book that has a lot of blank page in some pages, and you're like, "What is this book about?" Like I'm really curious. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, really interesting, sure. right? I think that's one like one another thing that another reason why some of those have been successful is because people mm-hmm. go to the bookstore and they'll read one single page which you know takes them 20 seconds to read and then they get the gist of the whole book by one entry so it's like if they like that one entry they're buying the book so yeah it's it's worked well (laughs) no it's amazing um when it comes to the way you work uh i think i've I've read somewhere that you usually work at night uh, whenever everyone's going to bed like how does that work for you like what is your your way to operate when you work yeah, so usually it's um, definitely at night after the sun has gone down and I'll turn off all the lights in the apartment and it'll just be me and my computer with some headphones, mm-hmm. usually a drink, and um, yeah, I just get to work. Like I said, I'm just like listening to music really loud in my headphones and, and just typing on a computer in a dark room. Mm-hmm. I, I like to make it so there's no no interruptions because that kind of throws me off if like if someone interrupts me or if I'm um, anticipating a possible interruption, it's harder for me to write. So if like, I need to make sure like the door is locked and you know, nobody's gonna, you know, walk in the room or whatever, it really kind of frees my mind to, to go wherever it needs to go. Right. No, it's pretty nice. Um, when it comes to just ideas randomly that, that you may have throughout the day, what is kind of like your system of, uh, writing them down or like, uh, capturing them somehow? Like, do you have any specific way to deal with Yeah. That? So, when it comes to stuff like that, I do use a journal where I'm mm. just like, you know, don't forget about this thing or, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, you know, if I'm reading a book or something, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll write down notes and stuff like that. I usually don't make notes about what I'm going to write, which is interesting. It kind of mm-hmm. just flows out. So my notes are about other things like business structures or like mm-hmm. um, things like that. I do, I do have 
a file that I uh, keep of, of book titles. And whenever I think of an interesting title, I'll put it in there. But that's about it. I don't, I don't really make notes about, um, you know, you know write, write an article about this. I never tend to do that. It just sort of happens. Right. Nice. Yeah, I love it. No, like you definitely have your interesting way to do things. Um, uh, what, what do you think is the main thing that motivates you to all the work that you do? Just, I, I kind of feel like I don't have a choice. Like it's just this creative <laughs> outlet that I can't turn off. And like, you know, man, if I could go work on Wall Street and make a million dollars a year and be happy, then I, I would do that. But I, I just can't, I can't, that's not me. I'm just not happy doing stuff like that. So like this creative part of me is something that I just don't ignore. And um, I couldn't turn it off if I tried. And I, I work with a lot of people who say the same thing. Like, I'm a, you know, they, they tell me I'm a songwriter. Like I can't stop this. This is what I do. So we need to figure out how to be successful at it because it's a part of who they are. So I think oh. that's, um, popular. I, I think that's common with a lot of the people that, you know, like my work or that I work with one-on-one is just like, you know, I, I need to write this book. It's important to me. You know, it's, you know, it's a creating is a spiritual thing. So if you, if you remove part of your spirituality, it's a, Uh, it's a big mistake. So, um, I, I wouldn't say that I necessarily have drive. It's just that mm -hmm. I do this thing and it's kind of a part of my daily routine and, um, just has been for, for many years. Nice. I love it. And, and how do you deal when, when you feel unmotivated? Because I believe I'm someone as well who is driven by ideas and by the, by the things that I like to create. But every now and again, I really get, like uh, on a rut, like uh, not feeling very motivated and I'm still trying to find a way to deal with it myself. But how do you deal with it? Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, I'm, I'm pretty, well, this, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm older now. So this is something that I've yeah. learned over many years of trying to figure out those ruts or depressions or, you know, just sour moods. And like, mm. for me, I found what works best is to not fight it. So if mm. I'm, if I'm super down, I'll allow myself to get more sleep or watch a movie or, yeah. you know, I don't put any pressure on myself to, to write if I don't feel like it or, you know, even go to the gym if I don't feel like it or whatever. If it's like, if I'm in that mental space, then I, my, number one rule basically is to not make any important decisions. So it's like, I'm not going to quit any projects. I'm not going to start any new projects. I'm just going to give myself some space, um, you know, be gentle with, with what's going on. And eventually you come out of it, you know, whether you're there because of, uh, an emotional thing that happened, maybe there's like trouble with a family member or a significant other or whatever it could be a physical thing like maybe you're you weren't eating right or you're drinking too much or whatever um but if you give yourself the space to feel better eventually you'll come out of it and that energy will come back and that motivation will come back nice that's amazing i, I think that's something that i've lately been trying to incorporate a bit more like not being not don't punish yourself for feeling the way you do because i think i've, I've been really hard on myself when i'm not feeling as motivated as, as I should or as I feel I should been for sure, of yourself, right? And, and what you said on like, uh, this too shall pass, right? It yeah. Will, it, it will go away. I mean, bad moments will go away. And it's also important to consider that good moments will also go away. So don't take mm -hmm. them for granted. Like you, you have them right now, so make the most of it. Yeah. But I really like them, man. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for that advice. Right on. Right. Very cool. Um, yeah, a few final questions to wrap it up. Um, sure. 
this is something that I ask like uh, my my guests, and it's usually around stoicism, but I'm just gonna adapt it to be more broad so that you have a choice and of other <laughs> things. I usually I usually ask them like if they could uh, talk to one of the ancient stoics, what would they ask and who would it be? But if you want to expand it to anyone like uh, ancient or like, anyone you look up that are alive, and you could have one conversation and ask them one question, what oh, would wow. it be? And who would you ask? <laughs> Man, that that's a tough one. I don't know who I'd ask. Um, wow, I'm drawing a complete blank here. Um, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know, man. Don't worry, man. I'm drawing. I'm so sorry. I'm drawing a complete blank. <laughs> that's amazing. Don't worry. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. Kurt Cobain keeps coming to mind, but I don't right. know what I would ask him. Um, okay, wait a minute. So I'm going to cut all of that part out. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to say, okay, we're back. Marcus wait, had to me, think. <laughs> let me figure out how to word it first. He still has to think a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do it. Okay, go for it. Okay, so I would ask, um, like, Charles Bukowski is a kind of a hero of mine in a way. I think he's a beautiful writer. And... Um, I would ask him about if he were a writer today, I would ask him like if he thinks he would still be as as successful if he were a writer today. And the reason why I asked that is because he was such like a, a misogynist and so cruel to women. And I feel like he was maybe a bad person but a beautiful writer. And I don't think it would connect with as many people uh, today mm. as it has in the past. And he's had so much momentum over the years that I find that really fascinating because yes, he was a beautiful writer and um, could really capture the world and capture moments. But I'm, I would be curious if uh, how, how his perspective is about, you know, if his work would, would, connect as it as it has in the world as it is today wow no that's really interesting i think there's this really big conflict between the people that we admire and what kind of people they are right because yeah charles bukowski is pretty controversial and people like him i don't know i think when they have such a big megaphone on on you know like sharing their thoughts and when they're especially so good uh, they really have the responsibility of like uh, kind of, I don't know, sharing good values, sharing things like this. So mm -hmm. I don't know. That's a pretty interesting thought. Yeah. I mean, that's a <laughs> big kind of burden of artists. Like you start off yeah. from a, a, a place of authenticity and just being a real person. And then that's a pretty big question of once you're in that limelight, do you have a responsibility to do the right thing and to be a role model? And does yeah. that mean you have to give up some of your authenticity, which is a, you know, it's a pretty important question. Right. Which I think uh, kind of j just to close it a little bit, but um, we have like this modern term of influencers, which I, I did realize that you were asking in your Instagram, like what people think of that because oh yeah, I never liked that word. And it's kind of weird because technically to uh, social norms, that's what I want to be. But I never thought of that as, as, as a real goal, like be an influencer, be taken advantage by marketers and advertisers and just right, know, right. influence people. It's a horrible thought. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think about that? It's a paradigm because I feel like that word influencer has so many connotations to it. Mm. 
and like most of them are negative, but there is no other word to, to describe what a, a lot of people are aspiring to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most people don't want to be, you know, superficial and posting selfies all day and, mm-hmm. and making money off advertisements. But if you do build your following with a podcast or, you know, a YouTube channel or whatever, and and you do have a large audience, then technically you are an influencer. So I feel mm-hmm. like maybe we should like, um, redefine that word and kind of decide what it, what it means again. Cause I, I feel like the word influencer can, can be taken in so many different ways and a lot of them can be positive. So I think, um, yeah, just keeping that in mind of like, you know, it's like all the cool people who are technically influencers would mm-hmm. never be caught dead using that word because of all the uh, negative connotations, which is pretty interesting. <laughs> no, and, and is that thing of, I think advertisers and, and all of this saying, uh, okay, this is pretty controversial. I don't say it too much in the podcast, but I'm, my master's degree is on creative advertising. And oh, cool. I, I always sucked out at advertising. Like I'm that hater of advertising in that class because I really struggle with how it works in the modern world, how some people can take advantage of others just because of the power they have on persuasion. So what I'm maybe trying to find out and maybe what I'm, what drives me to to complete that master's program is is to find a way to do it in an, in an ethical way that allows you to use that rhetoric and that persuasive power that you have over the others for good, right? Yeah, what do you think yeah, about that? Yeah. I think that's why it's so important to come from a place of adding value because if right. you if you know your product's helping somebody, then you can kind of um, influence people to buy it, and knowing that you're doing the right thing. So if you have a crappy product, it then it becomes unethical. You know what I mean? If you if you're like mm. trying to trick people into buying something they don't need, that, that that's pretty weird and unethical. Mm. But if your product is really a positive thing, who's gonna, that's going to change somebody's life, then it becomes an easier sell and easier to to sleep at night. You know, I, I study that stuff as well. I just got um, oh, yeah. da- David Ogilvy's book. Um, okay. on advertising, and it's right, so right. interesting. And, and yeah, it's it's an art form in itself to create good, good ads, which is pretty cool. But yeah, the art of persuasion is, you know, it's something that every business owner and any artist who's serious about their career should be, should be aware of at least and, and know how to communicate Mm -hmm. and how to convince people to, you know, even if you're a musician, you've got to persuade people to show up to your Mm -hmm. concerts and, and listen to your music. So it's like, it doesn't have to be the uh, super negative thing. It's just like the art of communication and adding value. And yes, there's an exchange of money there, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Right. No, I like it. I think I've I've got to come a bit to the conclusion that advertising and all of these persuasive ways to convince people is morally neutral because it's a tool and it really depends on how you use it. Right. So if, if you have something good adding value to people, if you persuade others to to give it a try or yeah to to acquire it, it could be good. But yeah, when you're sure. promoting something bad and like um, something that is obviously gonna be detrimental to others, like I think that that's where the problem is. So maybe raising this awareness of ethics and what is right to sell and what is not. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think the best the best copywriters and the best advertising people right. in the world are people who are super super ethical. Because if you're mm-hmm. not you go away and you fail. I mean, you might make some some quick money in the short term, but eventually you're found out. So like the people, like the legends of the, you know, Madison Avenue and, and mm. people who do really well, even today's like 
email marketing and copywriting stuff online, Facebook ads, the people who do really well are very, very ethical because like, you know, if somebody's not happy, you get a hundred percent of your money back. And like, you can't really build a career and you can't really build a business unless you're kind to people and have other people's interests at heart. So I feel like, um, you know, being ethical is not only important for the spiritual side of yourself and being able to sleep at night being ethical is also important for building a business because you can't do it if you're if you're a bad person nice yeah awesome awesome man okay i uh, think that kind of uh, wraps it all up uh, anything that you want to say to the audience like anywhere where we can take them to your work what you're currently working on oh yeah um you can check me out on instagram uh marcus almond and then my website is just marcusalmond.com uh mm -hmm. feel free to you know, direct message me or email me if I could help with anything. I'm always happy to help. And um, yeah, that's that's about it. Awesome, man. All right, Marcus, thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate it. You've been so awesome with this. So thank you so much. Cool. Thanks, Santi. Thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it. So that was the interview. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to check uh, Marcus Almond's books, I'll leave a description in the show notes. Uh, probably my favorite, and Marcus didn't ask me to say this, but probably my favorite that I do recommend a lot is the book These Are the Days by Marcus Almond, of course, as well as any of his scenes he has on his website. Uh, they're all very interesting, offering advice on different parts of life, different aspects of life that I, I find extremely amazing. So that's about it. I also did mention briefly in somewhere in the interview that I'm going to release an ebook. So that's coming soon. I'll update you properly once it's published. But yeah, that's about it. Message me anytime at Time Flies Philosophy on Instagram. I would love to answer any questions you may have or any suggestions you have for the show. I really appreciate your time once again. And I'll see you in the next episode. Memento Mori. Bye.